ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it. But hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. guys welcome to history of a haunting hey everybody we are back in studio if you could call it that well it's better than over the phone that's true yeah but we are sitting six feet apart we are yeah we are (laughs) i lost all thought in my head i just watched it go away too (laughs) (laughs) fuck me dude okay uh i have my notes for the episode here and then i have my little notes here and then i have this over here uh, that I want to talk about before we get started, and I just looked at it all and was like, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Brain seized up. <laughs> um, all right, do you want to do that first, or do we want to talk about where we're going this week? Yeah, let us uh, let me do uh, my little updates and, and things like that, stuff that I'd like for us to talk about before we get into the episode. We need to come up with a name for this stuff, because we're starting to do it a little bit more before we get into the story. And so we need to come up with, you know... Updates or announcements or I mean, hmm. something more fun than updates or announcements or <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> we'll stew on that. If you guys have any ideas, give us a shout out, let us know. But the first thing that I do want to um, talk about is I was just uh, interviewed last night to be on another podcast called The Paranormal Burrito. Oh. Yeah, I love it. It's um, There's everything about this show and its host and its concept I love. Even its logo hmm. is the cutest little ghost with a little burrito <laughs> eating a little burrito. It's oh the cutest. Yeah, it's adorable. I love it. And it's hosted by a gentleman named Caleb who is so lovely, I cannot even tell you. Um, but I got to know him through Twitter, and his, his show is fabulous. Obviously, it's about paranormal, so I'm all well, about it. Of course, you're, yeah, you're, you're into it. I'm totally into it. Uh, so I, he asked if anybody wanted to, you know, be on his show and share their paranormal experiences. And, of course, I was like, me, me, pick me, pick me. Uh, so <laughs> him and I sat down last night and um, had a conversation over Skype. It is The format of his show is different than ours, where you and I talk about the famous haunted locations that everybody knows and loves. We talk a little bit more in depth with the hauntings and the history of it. His, though, is a different take. And he has folks on his show that talk about their own personal paranormal experiences. Oh, okay. It's fabulous. It's almost like it's all just listener stories and and, and things like that, which I think is really wonderful. And I told him this last night, too, that I really love the take he's going with, um, with his podcast, because as popular as paranormal things are right now and as saturated as this podcast market is with paranormal podcasts, he's taking a different approach by having folks call in and tell, them, uh, tell him and his listeners about the things that they've experienced. And I think that, that what he's doing with the show is so important because as popular, 
like I said, as paranormal stuff is right now, it's still not widely believed or accepted. So I know that there's a great many number of people that just have these experiences, but they're keeping it to themselves because, you know, people are going to be like, right. you're crazy, you're That's making weird. it up, it's Won't weird. believe you. Yeah. Right. So many skeptics in the world and, and things like that. And um, so I think what he's doing with his podcast is really purposeful and it's really important because it lets a, a lot of folks know that they're not alone. They're not the only ones having these experiences. They're not, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And it oh. gives them a platform to talk about it in a safe space with listeners that completely understand and are utterly fascinated by the things that they've that they've experienced and gone through or you know by extension also horrified that these people had right. these insane experiences but so um the episode that i'm going to be on of the paranormal burrito will be out sometime next week and i will let everybody know once he lets me know when it's going to drop uh so definitely take a take a listen to it cool. um it's really wonderful, and I was really proud to be a part of it. And now, you know, the podcast has a new buddy, and Caleb, I've got a new friend in Caleb, and he's a Doctor Who fan, so we talked about that for a while. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just oh, cool. wanted to, yeah, let everybody know about that. So be, you know, stay tuned for that um, that new episode from the Paranormal Burrito, which is just fun all, all the fucking way around. All right. Now, the next thing, Arch, I think you and I decided that we wanted to talk a little bit about food banks. And Joshua Tree, so I'm going to let you take care of that little announcement and okay. plea for the goodness. Definitely. Um, in all of these times of social isolation and cities being put on lockdown, now is a really good time to donate to a local food bank. You don't have to give them food. In fact, donating dollars is better because it allows them to cover expenses, rent, um, utilities, and it also gives them a budget to buy the food that they know they need to buy for their patrons. Right, right. So instead of everybody going and dropping off 5,000 cans of mushy peas that no one will eat. <laughs> right. Donating money gives them the ability to buy what their community needs. Yeah, each individual community. And, and quite honestly, I mean, let's, let's be real here, okay? Hmm. Let's real talk here on History on a Haunting. <laughs> I, I find that phrase that you see on social media everywhere kind of annoying. All right, yeah. Because the people that use it are generally the ones that lie their fucking ass <laughs> most of the time. But anyway, right. yeah. most people now are not going to be donating their food. They they need their food. Right. We, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure, a monetary donation to um, local food banks mm -hmm. and things like that is, is, is the best idea. And, and you may say, you may think, well... Why should I give them money to buy food when all the grocery stores are empty? Is well, these food banks buy from the same suppliers that the grocery stores do. So they might have better access to things that we won't necessarily by going to the store. As consumers, okay. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so we definitely we want to encourage you guys to donate money to a food bank. Help out that way if you can. I mean, obviously, folks aren't going out and volunteering at, at places like this right now. And right. so there's so many different communities that are being hit really, really hard. Um, and food banks are probably the number one, the number one, the I best, would imagine. The best resource. Yeah, yeah, the best resource for folks that, um, you know, were in need of, of their services long before the fucking coronavirus rocked everybody's world absolutely yeah so um 
the local, uh, all food banks are, you know, are worthy. Um, as you guys know from the Ohio State Reformatory episode, our guest host, Edward, uh, he is a part of the Joshua T- Tree Feeding Program here in the Valley. Yes. So um, that is one that we want to give a shout out to. And um, they also, this is, you know, where we found out about how monetary donations are just as, if not more, important to food banks. Uh, yes, it is. Um, so you guys, if you want to make a monetary donation, you can visit Joshua Tree Feeding Program at jtfp.org. I'd be very much appreciated. Yay! Thank you. Yeah. The next thing I do want to talk about, I want to give a little shout out. And um, because I think... One thing, and Arch, I don't know if you've noticed this in the last few weeks or whatever, but you and I, we still have to go out. We still have to go grocery shopping. We still have to, you know, put gas in the car. I mean, we're self-isolating as as much as we can, Mm -hmm. and we're still staying within those guidelines of only the necessities. Right. Right? Um, So I've noticed that even at the grocery stores when there's nothing on the shelves and, you know, people aren't as panic buying as they were in the very, very beginning, is I'm not noticing. I don't know if you're noticing. It's gotten better or worse. Well, there's nothing left to buy. There's nothing left. You're right. There's nothing left to buy. But what else I'm noticing is that people aren't furious about it. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I've noticed that people seem to be a lot kinder to each other. Yes. A lot kinder to each other. Because um, we're all in it. We're all going through it. We are. We are. And I think people are starting to stop the whole hoarding tendencies. Um, and I just, I went to the grocery store yesterday and there wasn't anybody, you know, crabby or pissed off. Nobody was being shitty with the, you know, the person at the register, which I see on a normal day. Right. You know what I mean? Um, people are being kinder. And I think that that's really wonderful because, like you said, we're all in it together. Um, and then there are still some folks that are going out of their way when they either really shouldn't be or don't have to be. Um, and I, so I want to give a little shout out to a wonderful restaurant in San Diego um, for doing just that. So, you know, my friend Chris Hancock lives in San Diego. Yeah. And he posted yesterday on Facebook about an experience that he had at Fiddler's Green restaurant in San Diego. Now, as everybody knows, all the restaurants are, are, you know... Takeout, delivery only. Takeout, delivery only. Especially in California, they're on a strict stay-at-home. That governor grounded the fuck out of those folks. All 40 million people. Yeah, yeah. Um, So anyway, Chris uh, last night went to go pick up dinner for him and his daughter. And he said that in his hastiness um, of the evening, he left their dessert behind and his credit card at the restaurant. Ouch. Yeah. So, um... Really, the dessert was the bigger problem, in my opinion, but okay. Um, He's probably got better credit than I do, so the credit card was probably a bigger issue for him. (laughs) Go ahead and take my credit card. Good luck. Um, (laughs) The bill is due on the 12th. Um, (laughs) So anyway, he said that he called the restaurant um, and offered to pick them up tomorrow, like meaning today. Mm -hmm. So there is a gentleman there named Steve Rock that actually said that um, he would be happy to personally deliver the desserts and his card back to him. him. What was his address? So within 10 minutes, the Steve Rock at Fiddler's Green in San Diego had taken time out of a busy restaurant and just to deliver Chris his credit card and their desserts. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, and and Chris really um, summed it up quite well when he said that it's a fragile time where many people are running away from customer service. 
but not the Steve. Um, so apparently Fiddler's Green has been a pillar of the community in San Diego since 1994. Oh, I and see why. Yes. So I thought that was really a really wonderful little tiny act of human kindness. This man maybe not even would have, you know, realized what a tremendous thing he was doing for Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, when I talked to him about it later, he said that they, you know, they were really busy and for the, the him to take that time to leave the restaurant and bring him his stuff was just one of those you know, good human alerts. And so I wanted to give, I wanted to tell the story. I wanted to give a shout out to Steve Rock and Fiddler's Green in San Diego. Um, For the listeners that are in San Diego, which they're growing, I'm super excited. Um, You know, definitely go and check them out. And and, um, always, you know, um, be be thankful. And like Mr. Rogers said, always look for the helpers because they're everywhere. So That's true. Very good. Yeah. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, and I told Chris last night, I'm like, I'm going to give them a shout out because uh, I think everybody could use a little extra kindness all the time. Right. But especially now where there's so much fear and uncertainty and, and um, in this current climate that I was like, I'm going to have to tell everybody about it in the podcast episode tomorrow because, God, we need to hear more of these wonderful stories. So if you've got them, let us know. Message us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you guys have done something that, you know, you don't normally do uh, and, and then you're being encouraged and inspired by stories like this to, to do um, different things. Uh, like last night, uh, Koi and my mom and I ordered pizza from um, NYPD Pizza here. Uh, Koi is doing a little bit of work for the podcast and that was his payment fee. Um, <laughs> he wanted a pizza. Okay, easy enough. Um, but when I got there... They had got just gotten off the phone with somebody who had uh, ordered wings with their order, and they were calling to cancel it. So when she told the kitchen, he was like, but they, I just made them. And so the kitchen was frustrated because, you know, the people are now ordering things, and now they're canceling them at the last minute or whatever. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so she turned around, and she was like, do you want some free wings? And I was like, heck yeah, absolutely. So um, it was a takeout order, and while, you know, most people don't tip, Folks, when they're getting takeout orders, you definitely should. Um, and I tipped him twenty bucks. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, yeah. Good because hum- good human alert. Yeah, they just you know um, it, it, these are the these are the industries that are suffering the most financially. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so I tipped him twenty bucks. So always you know do a little more. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> My, True. You know I'm True. not spending money like I used to. Thank God. But um, yeah, so. These, these folks need it, and I was more than happy to help. All right. Yeah, so anyway. Good job. All right, Arch, you are the most excited about this episode this week. You have been talking about it since we decided to do it, and you have been, um, at one point, Archie and I discussed swapping it out for a different episode, and I'm like, it'll be fine, we'll just release it later on, da-da-da-da-da, and Archie was like, Carrie, I want to talk about the podcast. <laughs> and texted me, and usually I'm the one that texts him and says that. Um, and I'm like, okay, go ahead. And he was like, I really want to do this episode. I don't want to table it. I don't want to push it back. And I was like, it's very obviously very important to you. So that, let's we'll roll forward with it. So I'm going to let you talk about it. Um, and just so that everybody is aware, we like to dedicate our episodes to folks and friends and fans. So this episode is going to be dedicated this week to Chris Allgood. He is a member of Entity Voices Paranormal, and he is probably the next person next to Archie that is most excited about this episode. And since he's such a wonderful, he's another good human. Um, we're going to dedicate this episode to him. And with that being said, Arch, tell him where we're going today. 
We are going to Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, in the United States. Yay! Not to be confused with Skywalker Ranch. No, that's it, completely different. Completely different. <laughs> yeah, guys, I know I was bummed too. I'm sorry. Yeah, but um, as far as I know, I don't think that's haunted. Probably. Um, but I do believe it does have just as much security around it. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, so let's let's get going. This well, is to get this started. Yeah. Two massive concrete blockades dotted with no trespassing signs and a massive stop sign loom at the end of the road. Just like Skywalker Ranch. As you roll past, a twenty foot tall black steel gate greets you. Standing on the other side is a guard carrying a black rifle. In Navajo culture, a skinwalker oh, called, here we go. called a Yi Naldushii. Translates, you did it. <laughs> I got it. Translates as, by means of it, it goes on all fours. It's a type of harmful witch who has the ability to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as an animal. The term is never used for healers. Yeah. The legend of the skinwalkers is not well understood outside of Navajo culture, mostly due to reluctance to discuss the subject with outsiders. Mm -hmm. Navajo people are reluctant to reveal skinwalker lore to non-Navajos, or to discuss it at all among those they do not trust. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, that also kind of leads me to another thing. I just want to give a quick shout-out to the Navajo Nation in Arizona. Uh, they are on complete and total lockdown because they had a burst of um, cases. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so um, I definitely want to give a little a shout-out and, and prayers and, and um, for healing and everything like that for those folks. Um, but, yeah, they... they um, Navajo and most, almost, okay, not most or almost, all Native American culture is quite rich and, and beautiful. And um, the Navajos, what skinwalkers are, Navajo witches, uh, including skinwalkers, they kind of represent the antithesis of Navajo cultural values. Now, while they do have community healers um, and cultural workers that are known as medicine men and women, or by terms in the local indigenous language, uh, witches are perceived as evil. Now, uh, we all know the Salem witch trials, so we all kind of you know, but in Navajo culture, they are not kosher. Mm. Look at me blend all these cultures. Navajo, oh, witches, geez. kosher. Oh, Jesus. Um, the wine's <laughs> kicking in, guys. Buckle up. <laughs> um, Witches are perceived as evil, and they perform twisted ceremonies, and they can manipulate magic in the perversion of good works that medicine people traditionally perform. Now, in order to practice their good works, traditional healers learn about both good and evil magic, and most can handle the responsibility, but some people can become corrupt, as, you know, humans are want to do, um, sometimes want to do, and they choose to become witches. See, and the local youth population will not enter the area known as the ranch because they believe it is fertile territory for skinwalkers. Let's just talk for a tiny second about skinwalkers, where that is one of the most terrifying things I can think of. It's, it's, the ability to do that and to, to see one, uh, there's all sorts of, I mean, obviously, you know, there, there are a handful of folks that have actually seen one, but if you go and you Google a skinwalker, the images that come up are terrifying. They, they're absolutely terrifying. This is definitely not on my we're going to go here list. Mm. So it's sort of an anti-bingo square. Mm. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> hey, sorry. Go on. I just, 
I don't want to see a skinwalker. Anyway, go on. Again, the, the Utes in the area, they take it very seriously. They think of the skinwalkers as powerful spirits that are here because of a curse that was put on them generations ago by the Navajos. And the center of the whole legend is this ranch. The Utes say the ranch is the path of the skinwalker, and tribe members are strictly forbidden from setting foot on the property. And it's been that way for a very long time. Yeah, I, um, with all of the, uh, the, the guards and the, wa and the gates and the guns and the cameras and everything that you already said that prevents that anyway, I, yeah, I don't see why anybody would want to go onto this ranch. Um, but there are a lot of folks that do, and as time goes by, they're starting to allow folks to do that, and we're going to talk about that in a little, in just a little bit. The, 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 the basics and the, the generalities of the ranch um, are that it is located within the Unita Basin in northeast Utah. The Skinwalker Ranch is also known as the Sherman Ranch and the UFO Ranch. So yeah, guys, we're getting into a little bit of a different um, genre and territory here at History of a Haunting. Um, but paranormal umbrella encompasses UFOs and cryptids and skinwalkers, and it, it, it's the... It the, certainly does. ...the whole gamut. So we're, we're getting into the UFO thing right now. Um, now, the ranch is filled with myths and mysteries, including UFOs and aliens... They also have cattle mutilations, Archie. Yeah. Mm -mm. Also crop circles. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's sort of UFO-centric, yeah. common. Yeah. yeah. Crop circles. I'm yeah. not really sure what their fascination with crops are, <laughs> but all right. And the circles of them are making circles in them. Um, anyway, and Navajo, which is called Skinwalkers. Now, the ranch, and I think when you and I were doing our research, we found that there's differing, uh, uh, we found that the acreage of the ranch is different. Like, I think we found 480. 480 and 515. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, now, it is located about three and a half miles southwest of Fort Duchesne, right. Utah. I said it. it. I said it. It's spelled a lot like Duquesne in Pittsburgh, so I was convinced I would fuck that up. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as you mentioned in your report, it, it borders the U Indian Reservation border. Hmm. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, so that's just kind of the basics of the ranch and how big it is. Um, sorry. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, clink. Get <laughs> um, the mic. Uh, yeah, so that's just sort of like where you where it's at and the size of it. Um, and it is three and a half miles southwest of Fort Duchesne, not Duquesne. Okay, sorry. All right. I'm starting to sing. The wine is really starting to hit me. Wow, it's been a while. It has. It, it has, it has. So, um... Pretty much everything we got from here on out, for the most part, is from legendsofamerica.com. Best. Which is really turning into a great resource. It really us. is. It really is. We should change the name of the podcast. <laughs> but we're not going to. No. So, the Unita Valley Reservation was created for the Ute in October 1861 by executive order of President Abraham Lincoln. The Uncompagre Reservation, commonly called the Oray Reservation, was created in January 1882, and in 1886, the two reservations were merged to become the Unita and Oray Reservation. For more than 150 years, the Ute have lived here on the reservation that covers over 4.5 million acres. Holy shit. The Indians have long said that the bordering ranch is on the path of the Skinwalker, and for that reason have been forbidden to go near the property. The Skinwalker, again, is a malevolent, shape-shifting witch of the Navajo people, which the Ute people take very seriously. And we would all be wise to do the fucking same. <laughs> I mean, damn. 
Before the Ute moved to the reservation, they were a fierce and warlike people who lived primarily in Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico. At one time, the Ute and Navajo fought together against their common enemies. However, later, when the Ute first acquired horses from the Spanish, they began to abduct Navajo people and sold them in the New Mexico slave market. Oh my god! Never a good thing to do. Fuck, you know what? Somebody ruins it for everybody. Later, during the Civil War, some of the Ute bands took... Oh. Some of the Ute bands joined with Kit Carson in a military campaign against the Navajo. And we all know how that fucking went. Right. This ended in the Navajo being expelled from their lands and forced to march to a reservation in Fort Summer, New Mexico, called the Long Walk of the Navajo. Though the tribe was allowed to return to their homelands in the Four Corners area several years later, the Ute believed that the Navajo put a curse on the Ute tribe for their previous transgressions. Afterwards, the skinwalkers began to plague the Ute people. I'm sorry. They had that coming. <laughs> they had that coming. That is like such a betrayal. I mean, it, 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 and it actually, it's different, but it does remind me of last week in Lep Castle, where the McMahons fought for the O'Carrolls, and the O'Carrolls totally stabbed them in the back. Literally. Well, no, they poisoned them. But it, yeah, I, they had it coming. I'm sorry. But the Native American half of me is just raging right now. <laughs> so now, the Ute believe that the Skinwalker presence in the Unitah Basin extends back at least 15 generations. Wow. Think about that for a tiny minute. Um, they don't believe that the skinwalkers actually live on the ranch, but rather hide out in a place called Dark Canyon, which is located nearby. Have no desire to go to this fucking canyon. <laughs> Minimal desire to see the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> so according to reports, apparently, skinwalkers have been seen in the area by the Ute numerous times. The witches have been spied near the ranch, on the road to Fort Duchesne, and on various areas of the reservation. There's one account that described them as looking like humans with dog heads smoking cigarettes. What? Yeah. Um, so that reminds me of that famous poker picture of the dogs playing poker. Oh, no. <laughs> I have to do this because it makes the skinwalkers sound far less scary. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah, I have five-year-old humor. Uh, anyway, another described them as large, black, hairy, humanoid figures that were very fast. They also described them as having unusually large, coal-red eyes. Still others have said they have seen and taken pictures of very large tracks, which skinwalkers are said to leave. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, the ranch, which of course takes its name from these shape-shifting witches, was first homesteaded by the Myers family in 1905, and first consisted of a few small buildings on the northwest corner of the ranch at the foot of Skinwalker Ridge. Later, the original homestead was abandoned, and the Myers established a new home on the eastern side of the ranch. By the 1930s, it was occupied by Kenneth John Myers and his wife, Edith Child Myers. They stayed on the property until 1987. During their occupancy, they made no reports of any strange occurrences, though some of their neighbors did. Oh, crazy. Those neighbors, man. But, I mean, how, how could their... Where was their closest neighbor? Oh, on a 480 acre, you know what I mean? Right. But still. Now, in the meantime, other unusual events began to occur in the Unitaw Basin before the 1950s. There have been numerous reports of unidentified flying objects, or UFOs. And I guess this con continued throughout the next several decades. 
However, these were not the first reports of strange aircraft in the sky. Here's what is crazy, crazy trippy. The earliest mention dates from the late 1700s of a UFO, when Spanish explorers in search of the Spanish Trail passed through the Unitaw Basin and reported seeing craft in the sky over their campfires at night. In the 1700s. Now, the UFO reports, which number in the hundreds over the history of this place, include strange fireballs and an aircraft that ranged in size from 20 to 30 feet across to as large as the size of a fucking football field. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so what is that, like, 20, 30 yards? I don't know. I don't watch football. <laughs> no? Am I wrong? Oh. Okay. Little, little off. Little off? Okay. Uh, <laughs> they were described as, generally described as round, oval, cigar-shaped, and triangular, which mm-hmm. that's... It's still to this day. Yeah. Those are the common, the common, common descriptions. Wow, okay. So now, some of um, them were surrounded by a glowing green light, others emitted wavy red beams, and still others appeared to shoot colored lights from their underbellies, which... That's a rave UFO. I think I went to a desert party where that thing was there. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> by the 1970s, the Utah Highway Patrol was getting so many fucking UFF, UFF calls. No. UFO calls. <laughs> There's the line. UFO calls that the troopers stopped filling out incident reports. Oh, my God. <laughs> At the same time, I guess local ranchers also began to report bizarre cattle mutilations. And this is one of the most disgusting and sad parts of my part of this story. Um, There was a retired science teacher named Joseph Junior Hicks from Roosevelt, Utah. He investigated more than 400 UFO sightings in the Unitop Basin. He found that the UFO appearances often coincided with the cattle mutilations. Why are they doing this? I have so many questions. I don't know. Over the years, many of the eyewitnesses saw living beings in the windows or portholes of the UFOs. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Well, after the Myers vacated the ranch in 1987, it stood empty for seven years before it was purchased by Terry and Gwen Sherman, which we believe to be a pseudonym, in 1994. The couple moved in with their two children and livestock. They were surprised, surprised to find that the previous owners had placed deadbolt locks on all the doors and windows. All the doors and windows, including those inside the house. Some of these had deadbolts on both the inside and the outside of the house. And this is the family, the Myers, right, that didn't ever report anything while they lived there. Uh-huh. But they knew. But she clearly. Was weird. Yeah. Because <laughs> even the kitchen cabinets had bolts on them. Jesus. And at both ends of the house, iron stakes and heavy chains had been installed, which Sherman guessed were used by the previous tenants for a dog to be moved throughout the day. Terry later asked an old ranch hand from the previous owners, and he stated that the Myers, in fact, had four very large dogs that they kept chained up by each door to the house every single night. Now, we saw, and we'll put this on all of our social media and our website, we saw photographs of these stakes and chains that were surrounding this house. These are for fucking... These are heavy duty. Like, dire wolf-sized goddamn dogs. (laughs) Or... For Harry Potter fans, the fucking um, ankle chains that the dragons in Goblet of Fire in the Dry Wizard <laughs> Tournament were secured with, they're fucking huge. They're heavy duty. They're super heavy duty. <laughs> like, how big were these friggin' dogs? 
Oh, jeez. Okay, let me, hold on, let's take a sip. Take a sip. Okay, so, back to the Shermans. The very day that they took possession, the family spotted a large coyote or wolf in one of their pastures, which soon approached the farm, making its way to their livestock pen. So then it then grabbed a calf by the nose. Ah, baby cow. Ah. Um, and was trying to drag it through the corral bars. Holy shit, can you imagine the screaming going on? Ugh. Oh, God. Terry Sherman and his father began to beat the animal to try to make it release the calf, but they were unsuccessful. So I guess when that failed, Sherman shot the animal with a 357 Magnum at point-blank range. But still, the wolf held on to the calf. Another shot, after another shot, rather, it released the calf and just stood there looking calmly at the men. Uh, you would think it would be somewhat agitated, but it was just sort of like, what else you fucking got? Right. Yeah. Um, after a few more shots, the animal trotted off. Amazingly, there was, no, there was no blood or sign of injury to this animal, and the men followed the tracks of the animal for about a mile before they suddenly ended as if it had simply vanished. Just poof, into the air. Uh, and this was just the first foreshadowing of the events that would follow, and what fucking events they were. I see a few weeks later... When Gwen Sherman was in her car, she encountered a wolf that was so large, its back was parallel with the top of her window. Oh, fuck me! The large wolf was accompanied by a dog-like animal that she couldn't identify. Over the next two years... Was it smoking a cigarette? <laughs> Over the next two years, the Shermans, as well as their neighbors, reported seeing a number of strange animals in the area. These included exotic, multicolored birds not native to the region and tall, dark beasts that resembled a Bigfoot or Sasquatch. On one occasion, the Sherman saw a strange hyena-like creature attacking, I can't stand hyenas, attacking one, of their, one of their horses, which they described as low to the ground, heavily muscled, weighing perhaps 200 pounds, with red curly hair and a bushy tail. As Mr. I Sherman, dated a guy that looked like that. <laughs> As Mr. Sherman approached the animal, it vanished before his eyes. Afterward, they checked the horse and found numerous claw marks on its legs. Oh, God. A few months later, a neighbor reported seeing a similar beast running across their property. Okay. You know what? Save for the, the Utes and the Nava. Why are people, do people still live in this fucking area? Yeah. Dear God. Um, the Sherman said it right. They fucking bounced. Anyway. <laughs> Back to <laughs> So the Shermans, like their neighbors, also would see strange lights and flying objects, including more than a dozen on one evening. Good Lord. Yeah, so it basically was a rave out in the middle of the Utah fucking <laughs> desert. <laughs> on many of the occasions that they spied those UFOs, they actually also experienced the death or disappearance of seven of their best cows. Four disappeared without a trace, and three more were found dead and partially mutilated. Oh, man. Oh, God. What's with all the fucking mutilation? Jesus. I thought we gave most of this to me. Oh, no, that's later on. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you guys haven't noticed by now, the format Archie and I are doing is a little bit different for this episode, um, simply because the paranormal occurrences and the history go hand in hand throughout the whole... The it's whole t- so intertwined. It's so intertwined that it didn't make sense for Archie to just talk about the history, because then I would just repeat it in my portion. <laughs> so we're kind of bouncing back and forth off of each other. Either, either that or I would have spoke for ten minutes and you would have spoke for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Which is generally how the episodes go. <laughs> Okay. Um, 
so anyway, on many of the occasions that they spied these UFOs, uh, they did experience the death or disappearance of their best cows found partially mutilated. One of the dead cows had a peculiar hole in... The, this is where it gets gross, guys. Trigger warning if you don't like gore. Uh, after I said peculiar hole. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's a different podcast it's, altogether. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon. <laughs> uh, one of the dead cows had a peculiar hole in the center of its left eyeball, but was otherwise untouched. Now, another one was found with a similar hole in its left eye, and a six-inch hole, about an inch deep, had been carved out of its rectum. Mm. The last cow to be killed and mutilated had been seen alive by the Sherman's son just five minutes earlier. It had a six-inch wide, 18-inch deep hole cored out of its rectum that extended into the body cavity of the animal. In all three cases, there was no trace of blood found, a chemical odor was apparent, and no evidence of predators, footprints, or tire tracks. What? Weird, right? Mm-hmm. This whole place is just nothing but fucking weird. Um, of the cattle that disappeared, one seemed to have been magically lifted from the snow. Its hoof prints led into a field and then just simply stopped. Like it just, poof. Huh. Like it just apparated out of the fucking snow and <laughs> went somewhere else. Which, if cows can do that, they probably were doing that right during this time. Right. Um, it's, <laughs> the ground was littered with broken twigs and branches, and the tops of the trees appeared to have been cut off. That's fucking uh, weird. Yeah. That's really weird. And there's a lot of these stories at this place. Mm-hmm. So now, other strange events were also happening during these years. Pastures would unexplainably light up at night. Raves happening, <laughs> is what I think. That's the safer bet. Safer sounding one, anyway. Right. (laughs) The sounds of heavy machinery could be heard that seemed to be operating under the earth. Hmm. Poltergeist types of activities were occurring, such as, like, items disappearing only to reappear at later times. Strange disembodied voices, often speaking in an unfamiliar language, were heard from above. Crop circles of flattened grass were found on the ranch. They're fans of the circular pattern, aren't they? They are. Yeah. So they also claim to have spotted and filmed 100-foot circular openings in the air that were orange and red in color that would spiral open like a portal. Now, this is the part of it where I'm like, go on, keep talking. Right. Like, that sounds cool. However, (laughs) one night through a high-powered scope, they would watch a small craft exit the portal, fly around the property, and return through the mysterious portal. One time, Terry and his son and his nephew, while standing in a nearby pasture, heard unintelligible voices. Oh, fuck, this part is, this part is ter- <laughs> creepy as fuck. So they were standing in a pasture, and they heard these unintelligible voices. The sound, which they actually first believed to be the echoes of a radio, seemed to emanate out of the air above them. When they listened more closely, they could make out two distinct voices speaking in an unknown, la- unknown language. When Terry yelled into the air, we can hear you. Okay, he probably didn't say it with that attitude. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, But he yelled into the air, we can hear you. And the voices stopped briefly before the lower-toned voice broke into a low, rumbling laugh. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? I think that's my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) And then the conversation went on as before. Just like, oh, 
good you can hear us. Mm. BFD. Right. <laughs> we don't give a shit. A, uh, a quote from Terry Sherman at the time was, uh, for a long time, we wondered what we were saying, if it was something to do with the top secret project. I don't know really what to think about it. The, uh, the final straw for the Shermans occurred one evening in May 1996, when Sherman was outside with three of his dogs. He noticed a blue orb, orb even, darting around <laughs> in the field near the ranch house. He urged his dogs to go after it. Terry described the orb as the size of a baseball made of glass with two blue-colored flu fluids swirling around inside it, and it seemed intelligently controlled. It sounds beautiful. It does. I mean, it sounds beautiful to see, um, but you're not done. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not beautiful. The dogs chased and barked at the orb as they followed it into some thick brush. Sherman heard them make three terrible yelps, and when he called for them, they didn't respond. Mm. The next morning, when he went back to look for the dogs, he found only three round, greasy lumps with <sighs> what appeared to be a scorched spot. The dogs were never seen again. Oh, uh, okay. Let's talk about that for just a hot minute. So what are we thinking? They were incinerated in some way, and they were just whatever... Liquefied? Liquefied, I guess? I don't know. Archie and I watched a video that called them buttery dogs, and buttery. I was like, ew, I'm never going to look at dogs or butter the buttery, same again. Buttery, buttery lumps, I yes, think buttery, was the term. Buttery lumps. Ew. No. Well, after, Poor dogs. After that... And two years of these terrifying events. Two the family, years, Jesus. The family began to publicly speak out. The, you and I would have been speaking out within two fucking hours. Right. The first claims about the strange, unusual events at the ranch first appeared in the Salt Lake City, Utah Desert News. Deseret. Deseret? Deseret. Oh. Sorry. I was assuming that was another misspelled. No, Deseret, yeah. <laughs> and later in the alternative weekly Las Vegas Mercury as a series of articles by journalist George Knapp. George Knapp and co-author Colm Keller subsequently authored a book in which they detailed the earlier investigations into alleged UFO sightings in the Unantah County region. The vanishing and mutilated cattle, large animals with piercing red eyes that were not injured when struck by bullets, invisible objects emitting destructive magnetic fields, crop circles, Bigfoot-like creatures, and poltergeist activity. Mm. The Shermans planned to sell the property. Give it away. Give it away and run. Right. However, before they got the chance, Robert Bigelow, a millionaire businessman, a believer in ufology, and founder of the National Institute for Discovery Science, offered to buy the property after he read about the events in the newspaper. Jesus. After making the decision to sell, Terry got into a conversation with a group of the local Ute Indians who worked at the <laughs> this local is water my, department. This is my favorite. They had all placed bets on how long the Shermans would last at the ranch, <laughs> with the longest being 18 months. Hell However, yeah. yeah. the Shermans lasted two years. <laughs> Good on the Shermans, but I still think that that's really fucking that's funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. Bigelow bought the ranch for $200,000, contingent on a non-disclosure agreement with the Shermans, who agreed not to talk further about the events on the ranch. He then began to establish a compound with high-tech sensing equipment, PhD-level field investigators, scientists, and a security detail which guarded the property 24 hours a day. The investigators were tasked with collecting evidence, interviewing witnesses, and searching for explanations. Good luck. Its purpose was the research and advance the study of various fringe sciences and paranormal topics, including UFOs, cattle mutilation, 
With little apparent success, the National Institute of Discovery Science was disbanded in 2004. Yes. Now, however, that organization was quickly replaced by the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies, or BAS. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Mouthful of wine carry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Um, so this had was more secretive and was apparently working towards having a government sponsor. Now, in 2007, the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, uh, TIP, <laughs> was a secret investig investigatory effort funded by the United States Defense Department to study unidentified flying objects, primarily on Skinwalker Ranch. What the actual fuck? Uh -huh. What the actual fuck? Um, now, over the next several years, 22 million goddamn dollars were spent on the program. Um, and it investigated reports of unidentified flying objects and was run by a military intelligence official by the name of Luis Elizondo from the fucking Pentagon. Oh, you just can't even... I just can't even... Now, the Shadowy program was largely funded at the request of Harry Reid, who was a Nevada Democrat who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time and who has long had an interest in space phenomena. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. There it is. Uh, he also happened to be a longtime friend of Robert Bigelow. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This information, however, was not publicly known at the time until it was released by the New York Times in 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. When the story broke, a Department of Defense official confirmed the government-funded program, and Senator Harry Reid admitted his complicity. Oh. Today, parts of the study remain classified, and the Department of Defense has never officially acknowledged the existence of the program. But interestingly, it does admit that the program was shut down in 2012. Okay, well, that's sort of like to be expected. Right. The government denies everything, including MKUltra and the fucking Pegasus Project. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that year, the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies lost its funding from the Department of Defense. For being big mouths. Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program contract expired and it was not renewed. This is primarily due to Luis Elizondo's explanation that officials feared the public might learn about the program and see it as a misappropriation of taxpayer funds. Which it is. Let's focus on the problems of this goddamn planet. Because <laughs> there's a bunch. <laughs> so, I guess in the meantime, the ranch was sold for the rumored amount of $4.5 million in 2016 to a company called Adamantium Holdings, which... I can only imagine the owner of this company is a huge fucking Wolverine fan. Because why else? <laughs> why else? I'm sorry, why else? Anyway, so Bigelow's company, as you said, then disbanded, and its security team also went the way of the dodo, but it was quickly replaced by new owners. That same year, the Hicken Ranch Road, a, U a Unitoc County public road which bisected Skinwalker Ranch, was illegally gated. Later that year, a representative of ranch owner Adamantium Real Estate approached the county for a road vacation, claiming that the rampant trespassing issues led the owners to make the road private. So it was sharing a road with this other ranch. They gated it. This other ranch was like, dude, we live here fucking too, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, the request was granted, and there is no access to the property today, and gates block the entire entrance, 
with large warning signs. Um, now, I do want to let everybody know that as of the writing of this research that Archie and I did, which was on March 7th, 2020, we found that in 2018, Adamantium Real Estate LLC was issued a trademark for the name Skinwalker Ranch. Not much was known at the time about the company except for that, which, quite honestly, I found the fucking creepiest of all. However, Archie... On March 10th, 2020, it was revealed in a Vice article that the man behind Adamantium Real Estate is Brandon Fugel, a Utah-based real estate mogul and tech investor. Interestingly enough, Fugel will appear in the upcoming History Channel documentary, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, premiering on March 31st. Yes. Now, also, the author of that article released one previously where he was, was given a tour of the ranch. The Vice article. The Vice article cool. previous okay, to cool. this yeah. showed there are cameras everywhere, monitoring equipment, sensors. They have like a hub. And they have a hub. Where they monitor all of this they stuff. They have like 17 screens focused on all the cameras watching everything. They're taking the temperature of the land. They've got thermal cameras everywhere to just kind of check everything out. The article didn't talk much about the stuff that they'd caught, but they did give this reporter an opportunity to, to go to the ranch. To explore the ranch. To explore the ranch. And the different there are different buildings on the ranch. It's not just the house, right? Mm-hmm. It's there, buildings all the way back to the Myers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's absolutely fascinating, and I cannot wait to watch this documentary. Yes. So this uh, this episode comes out on March twenty eighth. The U- the History Channel documentary is out on the thirty first. So in just three days. In just three days. Definitely gonna check it out. Um, we watched during during our research of all of this. We watched a bunch of um, YouTube videos and things like that. And like I just said, we did our research on this on March 7th. Um, and, and since then, it's blown videos on up. YouTube have blown up. Have blown up. Have really blown up um, as everybody starts to, to find out that... As it's coming channel, on the radar. Mm-hmm. I and I think, I actually think A&E is also doing a special... Oh, wow. I think... Mm. I feel like um, I've, I've been getting, um, people are, are messaging the podcast and they're like, hey, did you know about this place? And did you know about this place? And I, f- I want to say it was Annie as well, but um, definitely History Channel is coming out with a special. They're finally starting to allow people to, not only, maybe not investigate it, but they're allowing the fact that they're documentaries be footage made. Mm-hmm. is, is yeah. amazing. It's really amazing. And... Um, when we first got into this, like, I'd heard about Skinwalker Ranch. There are some podcasts that have done episodes on it. One of them, if you guys want to know more information, and I'm talking, like, down the goddamn rabbit hole kind of information, uh, I definitely recommend the last podcast on the left. They did a three- or four-part episode project on all things Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Chris, all good. Uh, if, you know, if you want to find out even more about it, definitely check out the last podcast on the left. Yeah, they have a three- or four-part series on Skinwalker Ranch. It's truly amazing. Um, I also came across a little video clip of Portals to Hell and Jack Osborne. Oh, really? No, maybe it wasn't Portals to Hell. It was his first show. Oh. What was his first show? I don't know. Yeah, anyway, Jack... <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I gesture when I talk, and so I'm hitting the mic. Um... Jack Osborne and his other co-host of this other show, they went to Skinwalker Ranch. 
and so they were investigating. So the place has been granting access to certain companies and individuals to actually go and kind of poke around at their own risk, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's just a, a bunch of stories. Um, there was one YouTube video that I found when we first started researching this, and it was a guy that was talking about how he went to on a camping trip with his Boy Scout troop when he was like 13 years old. Not to Skinwalker Ranch, but in the general area. And nearby. And one of the Ute Native Americans that lived nearby came to the camp and was telling them stories about the Skinwalkers. Not like, you know... It's anything like that's going to blow the mind of a 13-year-old. Of a 13-year-old. Not like legends or things like that, because like you had mentioned, they don't talk about it. And the Navajos definitely don't talk about the Skinwalkers or whatever. But this this gentleman came and saw that they were, you know, camping, and he was like, you're going to want to be careful. Don't go over here this far. Don't do, don't go over here. And mm, Stay together kind of thing. Stay together kind of a thing. Um, he did tell the boys a story about how um, him and I think some friends of his were driving home one night, and they, like, these roads, there's no streetlights. These roads are fucking dark. Right. If there's any light that's coming from the moon, when the moon is out. <laughs> right. So they were driving home um, one night, and this animal started chasing the truck. Now, it's a dirt, a narrow dirt road, so they were going about 25, 30 miles an hour because it's completely dark out. It's a narrow dirt road. Mm-hmm. Even though they know mm-hmm. it like the back of their hands, they were going fairly slow. And this animal came out from the side of the road, the brush or whatever, and started following them. And they were like, okay, this is a little weird. Like, obviously, they're probably on guard quite Mm -hmm, a bit. mm -hmm. The animal's eyes started to glow red. And they were, like, banging on the cab of the trunk. Go faster. Speed up. As the truck sped up, so did the animal. Holy shit. Until the truck was doing about 50 on this dirt road that... Anybody who's been on a goddamn dirt road knows it's bumpy, it's pitted, it's this. So the guys in the back of the goddamn truck are bouncing all over the place. They're hanging on. They're trying to watch this animal. They're trying to hang on to their guns. They're oh beating on the God. cab. And they're like, go, go, go. And they, it's, the faster the truck went, the faster this animal fucking ran after them. Holy shit. Until they got to a certain point on the road. And they were like, the animal just disappeared. It didn't run off the side of the road. It didn't stop and slow down. They were just like bouncing around and looking around and when they looked again, it was just fucking gone. And it was after it was when they got out of the truck and they started to slow down. Not got out, but they started to slow down. They realized they had just passed the border of Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, man. And that's when it stopped. So it was essentially chasing them off the property. Get Get out. Get out. Wow. And once they got off the property, because like you said, that road is now private, but there it, it's access to other branches and, and mm-hmm. property. Mm-hmm. Um, once they got past that, the animal just disappeared. Wow. So this is the story that he's telling frightened 11, 12, 13-year-old <laughs> Boy Scouts camping in the middle of the goddamn Utah desert. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, then, and, and here I am. You know, 40 years old, just eating it up like a sponge. Yeah, like, I know, right? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And then what? And then what? And then, yeah, it was really amazing, this video that I saw. Like, the way the guy, the kid recanted the story. Um, just, it was it was fascinating to listen to. And, and I was just, Archie was just looking at me like, go on, go on. What else? What else? They ate him. They killed him. The truck died. <laughs> what happened? The truck got sucked up into the air. Um, he was he was here for it, guys. Um, and I hope you were, too. Uh, but this, this kid was... 
telling this story, or the, the grown man now, was telling the story when he was a kid, and I was listening to it. Because it was one of those YouTube videos where it was just a, one photograph, and then it was him telling the story. So it was like a podcast with a picture mm. kind right. of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and my mom and Koi would, like, walk through the living room or wherever I was doing my research, and they'd be like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Let's go. Who are you talking to? And I'm like, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> I'm listening. Shh, I'm fine. Go away. Um, so this entered, this actually ended up being far more um, terrifying and and fascinating than I thought it would. It was it was a good good research. It definitely good research. Um, and like I said, there are, are a bunch of podcasts that have done episodes on Skinwalker Ranch. But if you guys really want to get into the details of it, I highly recommend the last podcast on the left. Love these guys. This is another one that's in my permanent rotation that I binged for weeks at end, on end to get caught up. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they do it, they do it really, really right. Like I said, it's a three or four part episode on just this location. Wow. Yeah, and they do, they do all kinds of stuff. They do serial killers and they do like weird shit like this. And um, so I, I recommend them. They're on all of your favorite podcast stations as well. And um, that's pretty much all I have on Skinwalker Ranch. This isn't a place that people can go, so I don't have a TripAdvisor rating, and I don't have... <laughs> they do have a website, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have, I think it's skinwalkerranch.com. Uh, Archie and I, you visited it, and it's sort of hokey. Yeah, it's very hokey. It's very hokey. And, unless they've revamped it as of late. Uh, yeah, maybe they have, now that the owner has like shown himself. Maybe they have revamped it, but yeah, it was really kind of hokey and sort of one of those like touristy gimmicky kind of things you might expect Roswell, New Mexico to have, but um, they do have a website, and Archie's scowling at his computer right now, so maybe it's still hokey, or maybe you couldn't... It's not telling me what I want. There is an A&E article. You're not finding the actual ranch website? I got it. Skinwalkerranch.org. Dot org. Okay. Wait, it's... It's still hokey. Still hokey? Okay. I mean, it's one of those things where it's got, like, the the, the green, um, you know, highlight around the letters, and it just sort of, it's just kind of hokey. Um, but, hey, when you're a bazillionaire and you can buy UFO-centric land, do whatever you fucking want with your website. Right. I, who am I to judge? Although we're sitting on a pile of Patreon money, guys. You're going to oh, want to add to that. <laughs> Patreon.com, H-O-A-H podcast. Uh, so yeah, that was Skinwalker Ranch, and it was it was one of those for me anyway. It was one of those pleasantly surprising um, Tonopah, Nevada kind of places. Right. I didn't, you know, I knew it was crazy and weird, and I um, I'm not really one for UFOs, but I found this absolutely fascinating. I think I have a lot of questions about the cattle mutilation. I've got a lot of questions about the crop circles. Um, don't send your dogs after floating blue crackling balls. No, no. Uh, because they'll turn into buttery blobs or whatever, oh, whatever that was. That was that was awful. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy this location. Arch, okay. we, um, yeah. I think we did a really good job. I think we did. Uh, let's toot our own horn for a minute. It was a different format, and and the research was a lot different than we're we're used to. And I think uh-huh. you and I did a really great job. I think we did well. Fist bump from far away. We're six yeah. feet apart, so. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's what we've got. We are um, planning a very, very, very special bonus episode that is going to come out on April 4th with our regularly scheduled episode. So on that date, you're going to get two from us. 
What? Yes. He's looking at me quizzically, and if I talk to him and remind him, I'll spill a surprise, and so I'm not going to do that until we stop recording. Okay. Um, okay. Archie's like, shit, double the, the homework? Fuck. Shit. Is really what it comes down to. Also, as per usual, words are hard. Sometimes people suck. Some suck more than others lately. Mm. Um, and just be safe out there for all of the reasons we just stated, but also because you never know who or, or what, what is listening. Is listening. Thanks, guys. Thank we love you. you. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.